Welcome to Piecemeal, a podcast hosted by the EMILY program where we put it all together for you. Piecemeal discusses topics related to eating disorders, body image issues, and how society may contribute to distorted thinking. I'm your host, Claire Holtz, and today's episode is one in our recovery series. Please keep in mind that these episodes may discuss difficult topics, and we ask that you use your own discretion when listening or that you speak to a therapist as needed. All of that being said, on today's episode, we have Christine Irwin. Hi, Christine. Hello. How are you today, Claire? Good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for asking, and thank you for having me today. Yeah, we're really excited for you to be on the show. I, I am as well. I'm super excited about this this podcast and, and really excited to share my story and my recovery. Yeah, it's great. So just a little background on Christine for the listeners. Christine is a survivor of rape and bulimia. It's been almost 14 years since her rape, and she's been free of bulimia for 11 years. She's taken time to heal, grow, and learn who she truly is. She's also a wife, a mother, and an advocate for ending sexual violence and changing our culture. By day, she's a human resources professional for Pittsburgh Mercy, and by night, she runs a nonprofit called Voices of Hope. In addition to that, she released her first book last year, so 2018, titled Voices of Hope, where she shares her story of trauma and healing along with the stories of those close to her. Christine, can you tell us a bit more about yourself and your new book? Yes, of course. So um, I obviously reside in Pittsburgh, as you had mentioned. And uh, so for many years, I, you know, I I, I struggled with bulimia. um, And then I also like, as you mentioned, I was a victim of rape as well. And so through my years of healing um, from both aspects, um, you know, and obviously, I feel personally that from my rape that that also affected my eating disorder as well. Uh, made it worse. Uh, And with that being said, after years of healing, I was in a spot where I felt I could actually turn to my family and friends and ask them questions about how they felt after my rape, how, you know, whether it was how they found out, um, you know, how it affected them traumatically, how does knowing what happened to me uh, help them now in their daily life or in their jobs. And so it was very, very eye-opening um, I also took the time because prim- the primary person that really was essential in my eating disorder recovery was my mother. And she not, I, I'll be honest, I, I feel like she was truly probably the only one that really knew about it until after uh, it was over, after I was able to move forward from bulimia. And so I talked to her about my recovery and learning more about it because there were a lot of things that I couldn't remember, but it really opened my eyes to see how everyone is different. Everybody reacts differently to trauma, you know, um, whether, whatever the traumatic experience is, you know, people can respond thinking that it's your fault, but it's not, it's not that they're, they're against you or they don't like you. It's just that it's the culture that we live in. And I know my one good friend, you know, blamed me at first, but once I finally got to talk to him and, and you tell him about the experience, he shifted his tune, you know, immediately. And, uh, place the blame on the individual, uh, the perpetrator. And so I feel with the book, um, it's a very great way to just show how um, secondary trauma can happen because, you know, the the individual that's experiencing trauma obviously, you know, has the most effects from it, but the people around them can also be affected as well. And so that's why I think my book is so important. It is my story, yes, but it's the, my friends and my family that contribute and share their story as well. Mm. What was it like collecting those stories? It was difficult. <laughs> it was very difficult. You know, I what I technically did is I started writing letters to all my friends and family 
And I was, you know, giving these letters out. It took me probably about a year to give out all the letters. Uh, my father, for instance, was the one that took the longest. And it's interesting because I still have letters out there that they haven't even gotten back to me. And whether that's, you know, difficult for them to write about it. And I didn't want to push anybody either, because if you weren't ready to write, I didn't, I wasn't going to push you to do it. So I still have some letters that I have never gotten back yet. Uh, and my father, the, the, that's the thing I think is so crazy about him is that I was so hesitant to give him my letter because we never really, honestly, we never really talked about it. Uh, same thing with my, with my eating disorder. And when I gave him my letter, he said, finally, somebody's asking me, you know, how I feel after so many years. And he wrote his letter out in a week and got it back to me. So it was just amazing to see that response, you know, that he, he wanted to talk about it, but me being the person that I am and I'm, you know, I'm supposed to be his daughter. I just felt like it was an uncomfortable topic to talk about with him. And he got back to me the quickest. And so Going back once, I waited until I got a bulk of the letters back to actually start reading them because I knew it was going to be hard and difficult. And um, I actually had somebody sit with me and and record my responses to me reading these letters. I read them out loud, and then I actually verbalized my response to these letters. And it was very, it was a very emotional and trying experience. But I will be honest that I do not think I could have done it any earlier in my healing. I was at the right place at the right time. Mm, yeah. So what was the process of that like? Was it healing? Was it just really hard? Uh, it was a mixture of both. I feel like uh, anything, you know, I've done certain things in my healing that have, I have learned that are very beneficial. And now when I, like, for example, I do a lot of speaking engagements. And so for me now, I've done it for years. I'm very comfortable sharing my story verbally. Uh, now, when it comes to writing and collecting these letters, that was something totally different. So for me, it also uh, was very difficult because it was something new. Once I started to, you know, write my story out, and once I started to read these letters, I became more comfortable as I did them. But another piece of it too, and I think that's why some letters took longer than others as well, is because I wasn't ready to to actually speak about it, you know, verbally where I had to physically, because I, I wanted to hand my letters out physically to people. I didn't want to mail them. Or if I had to mail them, I wanted to call and personally tell the person like, listen, you're going to be getting this in the mail. I think that was the piece of it. There were certain people that I was super, super comfortable with giving these letters to. And then there were others like my father, for instance, it was, um, that was a hard step in my healing process. I don't think I was actually physically ready to say here is a slaughter. Cause I was nervous, so nervous on his response and how that would affect me. Uh, you know, so I think in turn, even though it parts of it were very difficult, it truly helped me in my healing because it got me comfortable. It allowed me to find another piece of um, myself that I enjoy. I really enjoy writing, um, you know, and so it, I would say it would be both, but the difficult turned into to more healing as it progressed. Going back to your story with bulimia, can you tell us about how that started or when you started to develop the eating disorder? Sure. So I, you know, it's, it's interesting. And I, I actually wrote a blog, I think a year ago for the Emily program. And I was reflecting on that yesterday because I knew we were having talking today and I was looking back on it and it's one of those pieces of my life that, you know, it's difficult for me to pinpoint. I think I know, and, and, and I've tried to figure out in therapy on why, uh, it actually started and it made me think of, I have a specific picture in mind of me in high school 
and, you know, being in high school and having self image issues and, and living in a society where we're surrounded by, this is the way we should look. This is the way we should act. This is the hairstyle we should have. This is the makeup we should wear. You know, I, I look at this image that I have ingrained in my head from high school where I can see looking at this picture now about why I would pick myself apart. And I hate to say that about myself now because I do love myself and I do love my body. But thinking back to a specific moment and when that picture was taken, I could see where my mindset would be, where I'd be picking myself apart. I It started, I believe, truly, I believe that it started right after my grandmother had passed away. She was um, the first closest relative uh, in, in, you know, kind of an intermediate family that had passed away. And I had a close relationship with her. Uh, she had passed away. And I was starting, like I said, right around that time where I'm imaging this picture in my mind of, of myself in high school. It was right around, you know, a close time to probably where that picture was taken. And I was starting to have self-image issues. So I remember speaking to somebody I had gone to, I had taken dance lessons for years since I was four and I was still going to dance lessons all the way up till I graduated high school. And there was a girl I danced with and she, I just started talking to her about different ways to lose weight and what I should do. You know, I always was an avid, I always worked out, you know, um, I was trying different, you know, workout tapes or along with dancing. Um, I wasn't really watching like eating wise if I was eating healthy or not, but I never went overboard or I never sat down and, and, and gorged on a box of cookies at that point in my life. But I was talking to a friend from dance and she, I said, you know what, you know, what do you do? Cause she had recently just lost a lot of weight and she had told me that she purges her food. And I was like, Oh, it never really crossed my mind that it was actually, you know, bulimia. Uh, I thought, okay, well maybe I'll try that. So I gave it a shot and I, I purged once and then I realized, wow, you know, I could actually like eat as much as I want. I started that right around my grandmother passing away. And for me, you know, when, after I started going to therapy for um, bulimia and, and, and also my rape as well, I started to realize that I actually never, I don't remember ever shedding a tear or crying or being, I don't want to say I didn't feel sad, but binging and purging was my way to grieve for my grandmother. Uh, it was a way for me to get my feelings all out of me. It was almost more as if the physical act of purging was a way for me to get all of those feelings out. So all the grief was gone. All the sadness was gone. And it just, it stuck with me. It stuck with me for, uh, I think about, if it was 2002, it stuck from, with me for about six years. So, but I would say truly my, it was right around my grandmother's death and also having all of these self image issues, um, was truly where it's, where it actually started. When did you realize your bulimia was becoming a problem? When did you get help? So, uh, I, I think as time went on, I, I knew it was a problem, especially when there were, there were instances where I would go to purge and, um, blood would come up, unfortunately. And obviously that I knew wasn't right. Um, I really wasn't all for seeking help to start. It was my mother that truly, uh, put the dots together because I started to get careless. Uh, so for example, I would leave empty packaging for snacks underneath my bed. Um, you know, obviously she would find those, uh, the, the toilet needed cleaned and she 
obviously saw the toilet and knew something was up. Um, I remember specifically we went on a trip together and I had went to purge and I don't know if she knew right then or not, or if she knew what I was doing, but she truly was the one that really picked up on what was going on. And she was the one that said, you know, I need to get help. So she actually went and she found a therapist for me, but I was still in the denial phase and she sent me to the therapist and I remember she told me this story, I don't know, maybe a year ago, because I, I don't actually truly feel like I remember. And she said to me, she said, I, you went to this therapist by our house, you went in and I came and I picked you up and you came out and you were like, she said, I'm great. She said, there's nothing wrong with me. I don't have an eating disorder, but it's because I wasn't admitting those things to her. I wasn't ready to do that yet. And it wasn't until she had found, actually she had found the Emily program and we which uh, for us at the time was outside of outside on of Pittsburgh, um, about 30 minutes outside of Pittsburgh. For me, I lived about two hours away at that time, but she had found the Emily program and I had actually seen a therapist through the Emily program. And that's when I really was able to start my healing process. Um, I just don't think the first time around that I was actually ready to do that yet. Uh, but going back to me knowing that it was something that was wrong, it was, it was a hard balance I would know, but things would come up or things would happen that I, I couldn't let go. I wasn't ready to. And I always compared it to being in a relationship with somebody like a bad relationship. You know, I, I, I would try to quit and I just keep going back and going back and going back. Um, you know, but it would, you know, things that would trigger it too would be different things that were happening in my life. If, you know, something stressful was going on at school or, you know, for actually, for example, so when I was raped, I was 2004 in the fall of 2004. And that summer prior to, I it was the summer between college or I'm sorry, high school and college. And I was starting to get on track. I was eating healthy. I was taking care of my body and I was doing really well. And then after I was raped, I immediately resorted back to that comfort of, of eating and getting rid of all my emotions, um, and continuing to do that. And uh, that stuck around then after the rape for another about four years. And I was finally able to to stop in 2008. And I haven't looked back since. So during all of that, what did those around you, you know, friends, family, loved ones, what did they do that you found helpful? So um, one, my mother, she was always pushing and fighting for me to get help, to seek help. Um, it wasn't, it was hard because she would always call me out. And, uh, there, like I said, there were times where I was still in much denial. So, uh, it was very difficult for me when she would actually call me out, uh, because I was still in that denial phase. Um, yeah, I had friends in college, uh, one of my really close friends, her name is Julie, uh, and she knew what was going on too. And she really, um, was trying to help me out when we actually were roommates together, uh, you know, just to be there for me to, you know, distract me to find other things, you know, and that's something that has helped me throughout my healing is just, you know, when, when something would come up is just finding something else to do almost in a sense, whether it's a hobby, whether it's, you know, hanging out with friends. And so she was a, a big proponent in that because she knew what, you know, that I have, I had bulimia. And so she was a big proponent on always, you know, trying to be there and, and, and helping me out in that specific situation. Uh, to find other things to do, whatever that may be. 
Um, so those were kind of like the big things uh, that were very helpful was just having somebody there to almost distract me from wanting to do that. Um, you know, it, it, it was, it's, it's, was more difficult when I was alone or when I was by myself. Um, and, and having people around me. And like I said, not, I don't remember exactly how many people knew that I was bulimic. I know for sure my mom, my friend, Julie, um, once I actually was able to kick it, more people knew then because I talked about it and it was helpful to talk about it after it was over. Um, I do know that, um, one of my exes, he knew about it. Um, but that was because one of my big triggers in my eating disorder was I did not like having leftovers in the, in the refrigerator because if there was food left over, I felt that I needed to eat it and get rid of it. And so I tried to explain to him, you know, this is my situation. This is what, but unfortunately, like he didn't make that connection. He didn't understand why I thought like that. He didn't know, you know, that I needed help with this. You know, I mean, I had gone to therapy at that point when I was with him, but it just, it wasn't connecting with him. Um, so there were, there were some people in my life that it just, they didn't get it at all. And then there were others that, you know, such as my mom and my friend, Julie, who were very helpful during that healing process. Like I said, the biggest thing for me, um, especially with what Julie did was really just being there, you know, finding other things to do, you know, going for walks, going shopping, going to movies, whatever the case may be, being able to find that, um, was, uh, was really, really helpful in my healing. So looking back on your recovery with bulimia, are there any instances or times that you really remember specifically? Um, on my, you know, it's interesting, uh, cause so there are certain things throughout everything, like the whole process of having bulimia and then the actual recovery. Cause in, the, in a sense, I almost look at it as in, I was almost in recovery from the day that it started because it started. And then, you know, or maybe almost up until the point where, you know, I was actually stopped. I was not in denial anymore. Maybe that was more so where I should look at it at. But I think in my recovery points that truly stand out, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times that I've been in a grocery store and I go past, you know, the, little Debbie display and just go and throw boxes in and take them home and, and binge on them and how interesting it was to not do that anymore in a grocery store. Or for example, I have two small children. I have a little boy. His name's Jay. He's going to be four in June and I have a little girl. Her name is Zella and she's going to be, well, she's one. She'll be two in October. And I remember when I first got pregnant with my son, and before I even was pregnant with him, I always thought this, that if I ever became pregnant and had children, I was very nervous that being pregnant would trigger my eating disorder just because, you know, obviously your body changes, your body grows, you know, when you're pregnant. And I was very scared that having my body grow and change in ways that I don't know might trigger that. And I was very fortunate enough. And at that point when I was pregnant with my son, I mean, it was, I was a number of years, um, that I didn't have bulimia, you know, that I was able to not have a relapse in so many years. And I haven't had a relapse since 2008, but I was very nervous about that. Uh, and so I would say that was definitely a big point in my recovery that I was very nervous about it. I was also very nervous about after having him, because again, after you have a baby, your body still changes. And 
the crazy thing that blew my mind after I had my son is that I actually, I almost felt like I loved my body more than I loved it before I was pregnant, um, which blew my mind, uh, you know, at that point too, in my life as well, you know, one thing that me and my husband are pretty adamant is we do try to be, uh, healthy. We try to work out on a regular basis as long as we're able to fit it into our daily schedule. And so that was one of the nice things is through my whole pregnancy, I was able to continue to work out, um, you know, and, and continue to like to continue to eat healthy. Um, and then, like I said, after I had him, I was just very surprised. I will tell you after having my daughter, um, now it's been, I've had moments where, you know, I, I'm, I'm not so in love with my body or I get frustrated with it because it's been a little bit more difficult to kind of get back to where I was. And with that being said, I, I never want to go back to purging uh, to me now that just knowing the effects that it has on your body, like that never crosses my mind anymore. Um, like I said, it took a very long time in my life and my husband has been a huge driving force too, I feel in my recovery because what, um, like I said, going back to eating and healthy lifestyle, I mean, I remember the, um, it would have been the summer after my rape that I tried to get back into working out. I tried to, you know, eat healthy and I had gotten so obsessed with working out that I would, I would, I would cry my eyes out if I missed a workout to that point where I was just replacing my eating disorder with working out. And it was more, I just tilted the spectrum a whole other way where I became so obsessed with working out. Um, so now, you know, being with my husband for as long as we've been together, um, you know, he's been, a, you know, a really good um, supporter and, and, and helping me and continue to maintain a healthy lifestyle working out. But if, you know, if I, I have to miss a workout for a day, it's not the end of the world, you know? And same thing goes, like I said, if I, if I want to splurge and I want to eat cookies or if I want to have some ice cream, I'm not going to, you know, condemn myself or give myself a hard time for doing so, um, or beat myself up over it. So those would be some really big points, I think in my healing or my recovery that I, I remember is obviously having my husband as a driving factor, um, my friends, you know, so those are, those are the biggest things that I can think of that really stick out in my recovery. And also, like I said, about being pregnant, I was very nervous about that. Um, at that point, like I said, I had been free of my eating disorder though for a couple of years at that point. So I think I was really good in a good spot in my recovery that I was comfortable being pregnant and, and everything that came along with that. You've been through a lot and your recovery has been um, extensive and from multiple things, which is, I mean, it's just phenomenal that you are where you are today. And I'm sure that took just a ton of work. So if you could tell someone in a similar situation or someone that's also considering recovery, one thing, what would you tell them? If I could tell someone that is considering recovery, if I could tell you one thing, honestly, the biggest thing for me was uh, talking to a therapist. Truthfully, that was probably the best thing that I could have done because that really kicked off my recovery. That really helped me, you know, pinpoint why this was happening. It was helping me pinpoint triggers, you know, and understanding why I was doing this to myself. And then when I was able to realize what those triggers were, it helped me divert from, you know, what I was, what I was trying to do. And that was binge and purge. So I was able to then remove those triggers by replacing them with something else. If I knew I was going to be coming up on a trigger, then I had to figure something else out. But by going to therapy, um, 
you know, really honestly, even just openly talking to somebody about it, not even a professional, just talking to a friend or a family member, because like I said, this is something that I, I kept to myself, you know, my mother knew, um, and she tried to get help for me for years. You know, my one friend knew what was going on, but like, I would, even if it's, if it's talking to a friend and being open and I, I even, that's the, that's the main thing I even say for anybody that's dealing with sexual assault too. It's, it's just the talking about it because you feel so alone and so isolated in a lot of things that you experience, especially when it's traumatic, such as having bulimia, um, that just being able to openly discuss it with somebody can be extremely helpful. So that would be probably my best advice. Talk to somebody, whether it's professional, if you're comfortable going to a therapist or, if it's, you know, a close friend or a trusted family member, that would be my biggest suggestion. I want to end this episode talking about the present. So can you let us know what your recovered life looks like today? Sure. So um, my recovered life is a lot different, obviously. And so it's really, it's really amazing to kind of look back and see where I was at certain points in my life. And um, being where I am today, it's, I'm, I'm healthy. I think I'm the most active. I've, I feel like I'm the most active that I've been in my life. You know, um, as I mentioned before, I do like to try to work out on a daily basis. Um, but I'm not stressed if I miss a workout. It's, you know, it's not over the, uh, not the end of the world. You know, um, I try to eat healthy, you know, um, making sure that, you know, I'm feeding my body with the proper nutrients it's, it should have. And, and the biggest thing for me too, it's not about not about being thin. It's not about, you know, looking like the supermodels on the mag in the magazines. It's just knowing that I'm taking care of my body makes me feel better. Um, you know, it's not about fitting in that certain gene size. It's not about even weight really, to be honest with you. Um, cause I, I hate the scale and that's one of the things that, you know, throughout my recovery that I struggled with, I hated stepping on that scale. I'm more comfortable to do it now. Um, it's, it's nice to go into a supermarket and not stress, you know, like if, if something stressful is going on in my life, you know, whether it's with work, whether it's my kids, you know, my marriage or my friendships or family or whatever the case may be, I'm not scared to go into a grocery store and worry that I'm going to, you know, find something to binge on or, you know, it's, it's nice going um, out to dinner and, you know, not stressing on, you know, if I eat too much tonight that I have to work, I have to go and purge and I, I, I don't feel that way anymore. Or I'm okay having leftovers now. And I've, I've gotten to a point in my life where I was making that connection with leftovers that I had to eat it all then, where I'm now at a point in my life where the leftovers I saved to take to work the next day, you know, um, I, 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 I wish I could pinpoint that where that disconnect came into play with everything, but I'm able to make that connection now that, you know, we save those for the next day. Um, and it's great because then I don't have to buy, buy or pay for lunch the next day. But, you know, recovery has just been, uh, recovery in my life now is just absolutely wonderful. Um, it's, it's, it's so great for myself. Like I said, when I look back and I think of those days when I was hiding food under my bed or containers under my bed or, you know, going and purging. I mean, I, there are times I remember I, I remember one time in high school, my, I had a boyfriend at the time and he invited me over for dinner, but my girlfriend also invited me out for like an early dinner. So I went to dinner with one, then I stopped at a public restroom, purged everything out and then went and had dinner with my boyfriend. And that's not, that's not the way to, that's not the way to live. And 
So it's just amazing to see that transformation and how my recovery is now. And I'm in a really good place. That's so amazing to hear. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Oh, you're so welcome, Claire. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to do so. And I think I've mentioned before, you know, this is something that I'm still getting comfortable talking about. Um, but it's, it's a lot, it's so much easier as it goes on. And, and I'm really excited to share my story. So thank you. Can you tell us where we can find both your book, Voices of Hope, and the nonprofit? Yes. So if you go to Amazon, you can either type in my name, Christine Irwin. It's um, spelled with a K, K-R-I-S-T-I-N-E. And last name is Irwin, I-R-W-I-N. So you can find it there. And like I said, it's titled Voices of Hope. Or um, you can go to my website. It's www.voices-of-hope.org. And um, that you'll find um, information about me and my speaking engagements, um, some of the um, campaigns that I run throughout the year, and then also more information on my book as well. Great. Thank you. You're welcome. Piecemeal is an Emily Program podcast with new episodes out the first Monday of every month and new recovery series episodes out the third Wednesday. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, review, or leave us any feedback on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you'd like to learn more about the EMILY program and what we do, you can visit www.emilyprogram.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at EMILY Program. Piecemeal is a podcast hosted and edited by me, Claire Holtz, produced by myself and Nancy Linden, with music by Dan Forkey. As always, we wish everyone happy, happy healing.